Good morning. Welcome. I'm Stephanie, if we have not met. And uh, I am on staff here. I'm the director of adult discipleship. And we are in a series right now called The Seven Wonders. And if you are new, uh, the seven wonders are seven questions that often we begin asking when we are very, very young. And we're asking these questions. And if at some point we get a no instead of a yes, that kind of stays with us. And what happens without realizing it is often we will take this question with us as we develop and grow into adulthood. And in the different arenas of our life, we will begin asking this question. An example, am I safe? Yes. Am I safe? Yes. Am I safe? No. Oh, I'm not safe. I don't like that feeling. And we begin to scramble. We begin to try to do whatever we can do to get that answered with a yes. And oftentimes that scramble is unhealthy, it hurts us, and it hurts our relationships with other people. And so this series is about looking at these different questions each week and then figuring out, am I, uh, do I tend to scramble in some area of my life? And if so, what is a healthy way? How, how do I really uh, think about that, reflect on it, and what do I do about it? So this morning... I'm going to uh, go off format a little bit. I'm going to do things a little bit different. And I'm going to start by asking us all a question. And this is the question. Have you ever been on the wrong end, on the faulty end of uh, bad thinking? So it, around the idea of if I do this, then this will result. Example might be, if I buy an expensive gym membership at a great gym, then I will go to the gym more often. Anybody? Uh, and week one, great. Week two, meh. Week three, ooh. Week four, I am now paying for a gym membership and I am not going to the gym, right? And we have those areas in our life where we have that if-then thinking. And no matter what, there is something in me that is lacking. And so even if I throw money at it, if I throw money at it, that's not necessarily going to solve the problem because there's something deeper going on. And a lot of times this, this way of thinking, we get pushed toward it, we get pulled toward it early on in our development and in our childhood. So I want to take a, a look at an example that I have. Um, they're going to pop up on the screen a picture of a rubric. And a rubric can be a great tool because it can get teachers, students, parents kind of all on the same page. But I'm going to pick on the rubric just a little bit today because the rubric illustrates for us what we can do as human beings uh, on a bigger scale. We can begin assigning value and worth um, both to ourselves and others, based on a similar way of thinking to the rubric. So the first thing I want you to know about this, or I want you to see, is the 4, 3, 2, 1. So the 4, 3, 2, 1 are uh, points that you get if you meet this criteria. Neatness, completion, timeline, accuracy, and work shown. Uh, and I, I'm going to be honest with you guys for a minute. I'm going to be vulnerable today a little bit. 
And uh, the first time I was teaching, another teacher came in to my classroom and handed me one of these and said, um, this is how we grade these papers. So there was probably like three of us all teaching the same thing. Uh, this is how we grade. And so I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's cool. Like, spells it out, makes it pretty clear for everybody. But then the more I looked at it, I began to see words instead of numbers. And this is just me. I am an empath to the ninth degree. I can be walking down the sidewalk and some stranger I've never met across the street and I'm like, they're hurting, they're in pain. I can feel it, right? So I'm looking at this rubric and I'm seeing words and the words that I'm seeing are best, better than good, good, and loser. That's what I saw when I looked at this. And we don't like that word, right? That's a put down word, it's a hurtful word. We especially don't like it connected to students. We especially don't like it uh, connected to students and the work that they are producing. And yet, every day, all the time, in our culture, in every arena, we have winners and we have losers. We might not label the loser, we label the winners, we label them, we um, build them up, we lift them up, we raise them up. And the losers were just kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But we do that. And so I'm looking at this rubric and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the kids that come in and, and they get their, their rubric back and they're ones. And they may not say it and we may not know it, but somewhere in there, there's a good chance that there's this mindset I'm losing. I'm losing value. I'm losing worth. And Susie over here, who got all fours, she's gaining. So now I'm behind. And none of us want to lose, right? We want to be winner. I think most of us. I think most of us kind of came into this world wanting to win, wanting to get the fours. And yet, how many of us know in life sometimes uh, we land in the one? We live from this kind of value system based on performance almost every day. And early on, we begin to believe that if I, if I do this, if I do that, my worth and my value depend on me. And my question is, is there anything wrong with this? I mean, because we do it every day, all the time as a culture, we affirm this way of thinking, and so is there really anything wrong with it? So the first thing I want to look at is this square up here. So you get a four if your homework is in an orderly packet and is incredibly neat. And you get a three if your homework is in an orderly packet and is neat. Do you see the problem? It's subjective. Right? Teacher number one might have a different definition of incredibly neat and neat than teacher number two. Also, another problem with the way we assign value and worth in, in the big world at large is that we often don't give space for the inconstant of life. It's a word. I looked it up. Inconstant. It means frequently changing, variable, or irregular. Right? We don't give space for that, that our lives are changing. So think about this. Think about if on Monday, kiddo goes to school, they've had eight hours of sleep, they've had a good breakfast, they walk in the door, teacher smiles at them, is nice to them, they sit down to write their paper, 
there's a pretty good chance that they're going to do pretty well. Fast forward to Friday. They were on the bus to Tenasket. They played a really hard sporting event. They ate dinner at the Mini Mart. They came home, got up on the wrong side of bed on Friday. A teacher growled at them. Are they going to produce the same quality of paper? And yet, that is kind of how we assign value and worth. And then the last one to just think about as we question this thinking, and again, I am not picking on teachers and rubrics. I used it. I loved it. So if you're a teacher in here, I'm just trying to illustrate in some way a bigger picture. And the last thing that we often do is we come at it from a one-size-fits-all. And yet any of us in this room that are parents of more than one child know that that is not true, right? First baby comes along, and they train us up in the way that we should go. And we quickly figure out this parenting thing. We have to. It's survival of the fittest. And we get it figured out. We start to feel confident. We're like, okay, I can do this. And we get really brave. And so we invite baby number two into the world. And what do we quickly figure out? That parenting does not translate across children, right? So what worked with child number one is not not working with child number two. They're not the same. And so we have to learn to parent all over again. And so it, it's not one size fits all. And yet in life, and when those kiddos walk into the classroom, we hand out 29 rubrics that are exactly the same. And we do this in our everyday life. We have these self-made rubrics in our heads We've created them, or somebody else has created them for us, but we carry it around in here, and we withhold or give worth and, and value based on that rubric in our head. That's how we give it, or that's how we take it. And it is no wonder, with all of this instability around value and worth, that many of us today are asking the question, and this is the core question. This is from the series, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Now, I might think on Monday, four, 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 four. I might get to Thursday and be like, oh, I'm dying. I'm barely making a one. And I'm like, I got to just keep running on this hamster wheel. I got to just keep going. I got to get back to the fours. And then maybe Saturday, I'm like, yeah, I rocked it today. I'm doing so good. And then you get home and you get this email. And this email tells you that you are not rocking it and that you really are stinking at life. Who's right? Who's wrong? How do we decide? Who gets to say whether we are good enough? So I'm going to tell you a quick little story. Um, years ago now, we had a kiddo in Vail School, a kiddo in middle school, and a kiddo in high school who was not driving yet. And it was parent-teacher conference week. And at that time, the schools all scheduled a little bit different. So start and end times were different that week because of traffic. And then you add in the fact that um, some of the schools wanted you to bring your kids to the conference, others didn't. Some of your kids had to like bring their work with them, others didn't. Uh, it was just a crazy week. And then the sports schedules were all kind of different. And so by Thursday of that week, I was frazzled. I was undone. I was a mess. And we had small group. And the family that was hosting our small group were in a very similar season of life than us. And, uh, but they had more kids than we did. 
So I pull in, I get in their house, I plop down, and I'm just like, <sighs> and I look around. There's three different kinds of soup on the stove. It's calm. There's twinkle lights. There's music playing in the background. I mean, it's like I'm just getting this warm hug. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, Wait, what, what? So I say to them, I say, well, how are, how are conferences going for you? And they look back at me and they go, oh, we don't go to conferences. And I was like, what? Is that even legal? Like, can you do that? I thought it was like a law that you had to go to parent-teacher conferences. Again, I am not endorsing not going. I was a teacher. I think they're great. I think they're amazing. But this family had done something that I had never done. And this was an epiphany moment for me. They had gotten off of the hamster wheel. They had realized um, that, they, that the parent-teacher conferences for them, their family, was a net loss. It ended up being more chaotic, more crazy, causing more problems uh, than, than it was helpful. And so um, I realized that day a thing that kind of goes along with the idea of groupthink. Groupthink is a phenomenon that occurs when a group of individuals reach a consensus without critical reasoning or evaluation of the consequences or alternatives. So in my mind, being a four parent, getting a four on the rubric, in my mind, this is what it was. This was my rubric in my head. Get to parent-teacher conference on time. Have your kid looking decent, you're looking decent. You've made the teacher homemade cookies. You've brought the teacher a thank you card with a gift card to a restaurant. And you look like you got it together and you walk in confident. Like that was my idea uh, of, of a conference. And I'm sitting there and I'm realizing that I, like, I've just bought into what everyone else is doing, and, and I'm on this hamster wheel, and I don't necessarily need to be there. There's an alternative. And in, in this family situation, the alternative was we're just we're not going to do those this year in this season. And I saw the peace that resulted from that. And it's the same way uh, in our lives. There is an alternative to being on the hamster wheel, just trying to be good enough, trying to be good enough, trying to be good enough, trying to hit fours all the time. And this different way is the way of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to look at an older gentleman who is living his life fully entrenched in the if-then mindset. And his if-then mindset is if I am a good person, I'm good. And, and you see throughout this older gentleman's life that this is the way he lives, and he seems to be doing pretty darn good. He's a very devout religious man. He's devoted to reading and studying the scriptures. He's faithful to much prayer. He's a member of the elite, a man of privilege. He's highly educated, not just educated, highly educated Bible teacher. He's wealthy, very influential in his community. So he's hitting all fours on the rubric. And his, his name is Nicodemus. I'm going to call him Nick. Okay, so as we look at Nicodemus, I want you to know, I read the commentaries, I studied all about Nicodemus, and one of the things I found out, so Nick is going, we're going to read about him sneaking out to Jesus. He's going to go see Jesus in the dark of night. And as you read the commentaries, everybody has a theory as to why. Why does Nick go to meet Jesus? And I also have one. 
And what I wonder is I wonder if Nick isn't going to see Jesus because, first of all, he's a member of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, I I don't have time to get into them other than to say they had become, they weren't always, but they had become the morality police. That's what they did. They kind of ran around and made sure that everybody was doing what they should be doing according to them. So Nicodemus is a man of this brotherhood, this group. And I just can't help but wonder if as Jesus was there, so Nicodemus can see Jesus doing life. And as Jesus is doing life, I can't help but wonder if um, Nicodemus is like, hmm. And he begins to look inward. And then he looks at Jesus. And then he looks inward. And then he looks at Jesus. And he's been good, but all of a sudden, something feels off. Something doesn't feel right. Man, Jesus, like he's doing these things. Hmm, what? And he just feels off. And I just, I wonder if that's why he went to Jesus, because he was feeling off and he thought, I got to figure this out. So I'm going to read a little bit of Nicodemus's story. It's in um, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And And the Bible tells us there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know, we group think. We, the brotherhood, the Pharisees, we know that uh, you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus opens up his conversation with Jesus by complimenting. And what does he compliment? He compliments Jesus's works because that's what Nick knows. If I'm a good person, I'm good. So he's recognizing the good works in Jesus, and he's calling, uh, he's calling those out. Jesus does not return the compliments. He doesn't return the niceties. He's not impressed with Nick's resume. This is what Jesus says to him in return. He says, Nick, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And what we see here is that Jesus knows what Nick is beginning to feel, that there is some kind of lack inside of him. And Jesus begins to call it out. He says, your lack, what you are lacking is that you have not been born again. And this is weird, right? Because Nicodemus is, I mean, he has hit the four on everything on that rubric. He is full fours. And what I want to tell you this morning and what I believe this morning is whether you are a Nick with perfect fours across the board or you're more like me, constantly putting out these frenzied efforts to be good enough, all of us land in the same place. We all land in the same place. We all end up realizing, I'm lacking something. In fact, God's word tells us in Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12, God's word says it like this. He says, for all, all of us, have turned away. They have together become worthless. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. And I want to take a look at this verse for a minute because I want to look at the words turned away. What is God's word saying to us when it says all of us have turned away? We've turned. What this means is that God is here and God is actually king and he's actually king over a kingdom. And he is God and he is king. And yet because we are born in this earthly kingdom, we're born over here, we might glance over here once in a while, but we're so saturated over here in this worldly kingdom that our eyes begin to look on this worldly level and we begin to believe from very early on, if I, then. Right? Earthly kingdom. I, 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 I. We've turned from looking here and we look here and, oh, I have to make cookies to take to the conference. And I have to make sure my kid's wearing the right clothes. And I have to be a good child of God. And I have to be a good wife. And I have to be a good mom. And I have to be a good employee and team member and friend. If I hear. And the word tells us that we have turned. And when we turn, it's diminishing results. Worth less. We've turned away. And those of us asking the question, am I good enough? No, we're not. That's the cold, hard truth. This series is about kind of been saying yes, yes, yes. But the reality is no, we are missing something. So what is it that we are missing? We are missing this thing called being born again. And as I looked at born again and I studied it, the word again in the Greek is anathen. And anathen means this, born a second time, born a second time from above. Born a second time from above. Now this is what I want us to hear, I want us to think about this morning. To be born is not something we can do ourselves. If Jesus had said, unless you are washed, you cannot see the kingdom of God, then we might think, oh, I can wash myself. But a man can never birth himself. So Nick's confused. And Nick, Nick starts to dig. In John 3, 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God. Here it is again. First it was see the kingdom of God. Now it's no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. So now Jesus is trying to tell Nick in a little bit different way the same thing. Born of water and spirit. Born again, born from above, and it has something to do with spirit. Jesus says flesh gives birth to flesh. We can all figure that out. That's not too mysterious. Our mothers are flesh. They give birth to us. We're flesh. Flesh to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. So here's the mystery. Here's what Nick was lacking. Here's what we might be lacking. 
Jesus says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And then he goes on to explain a little bit of the spirit. He explains a little bit of, of Jesus, of what he's trying to get at. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. It's a bit of a mystery. We can't control it. We can't go up to heaven and do it in our own strength. We can't go up there and grab it. We can't do it. It's a gift. And it has something to do with our spirits. And if we think about the idea of born, what happens when somebody is born? There's new life. Right? If somebody has a baby, we have a new life. There is new life. And so what this is saying, what Jesus is saying, is there is a gift that is spirit that comes and it births new life in us. And that new life is transformative. It begins to transform us to a place where we begin to be able to see kingdom of God more. Our eyes are opened up more to this idea, this mystery in scripture of the kingdom of God. And not only will our eyes begin to be open to the kingdom of God, but it says that we can have entrance into the kingdom of God. So we can begin to live more and more from the kingdom of God, what our king tells us how we should live and what our lives are all about. We can live more from here and less from over here. And as the spirit can, oh my gosh, this is counterfeit. I can run a marathon to be a good person. And man, I feel really good about myself for like a week. And then I just ache all over. And then if you want to do it again, like you have to start running for like three, four hours a day again. Like it's diminishing returns. But over here, this is truth. This is real. Even though it's mysterious to us and we can't see it and we're constantly figuring it out, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying what you lack, what you don't understand, what you cannot fully control and see, I will birth in you. I will transform. I will give you new life, a new way. You will see with new eyes and you will live from here. And if you think about the wind, I just love this idea. If you think about spirit like wind... And, I, and this is in my own life, what will happen is I'll be over here, and when the Spirit begins to work in me and transform me without even realizing, realizing it, all of a sudden I'm over here, and I'm having um, connection with Father God, with the King, and it changes me. And it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. And so often in our lives, that is what we are missing. Also, in the kingdom of God... The word of God is spoken, right? We, we speak in earthly speak over here with systems and processes and ways of assigning value and worth. And yet in the kingdom of God, the word of God is what is spoken. I want to share with you a little bit out of the word of God this morning. Very first chapter, chapter one, God just goes right in. God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And what happens is when the Spirit comes and begins to transform and begins to open our eyes to this mysterious kingdom of God, that, that verse begins to speak to us of what our value and our worth, where it comes from. And it doesn't come from if I then. It comes from I am made in the image of God and that is my value. That is where my value and my worth comes from. And we cannot understand it. We continue to lack understanding until we are born again and until the Spirit begins to reveal these mysteries to us that in our own strength we cannot understand. But if you think about being a parent, for those of us that are parents, and we think about our kiddos, and it doesn't matter. We just delight in them. We just, they're just delightful. They can do anything. My grandson called yesterday and started singing happy birthday to me, and I was so confused. I was like, man, I am really off this week. Um, it was not my birthday. Uh, but he had learned to sing happy birthday, and I was just delighted. I mean, Steve and I were still talking about it this morning. Why? Because he did some amazing thing? No, just because we just delight in him. Made in the image of God, God delights in us. Psalm 139 tells us that we are wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. Do we believe that? Can you walk around going, hey, I'm wonderfully made. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderfully made. Or do we just get on that hamster wheel and run? I want to end with one story. One more story. Years ago, years ago now, I did not understand any of this at all. And uh, I was on the hamster wheel, fully on it, trying to get the fours, trying to get the fours. Just what do I, every day, waking up, trying to get the fours in all of the arenas of my life. And uh, that particular day, I had been, I worked up at the Christian school in Leavenworth, and I had been for nine hours without a break, I had been with middle school and high school students, and I was exhausted. That year of my life, I tanked myself in my soul. My soul was empty, frail. I kept going. I kept doing the thing because, you know, sometimes you just don't have a choice. But inside, my soul was just crispy and dry and a mess, a mess, a mess. My husband knew. Two of my dear friends knew. So... Nine hours with all these middle school and high school kids, no break. I'm at Safeway, and I'm pushing my cart. And as I'm pushing my cart, I see this cute little Hispanic girl, and she pokes her head around the corner. She smiles at me, kind of giggles, and then she runs off. And I was like, oh, that was sweet. So I'm going, and then I push my cart the other way, and there she is at the end again. And she looks around, she smiles and giggles, and then she runs away. I was like, oh, we must be playing a game. This is cute. This is fun. Third time, third aisle, I'm pushing, and she gets up the courage to run past me. And she kind of runs past me, and she looks up, and she smiles, and then she keeps going. Now, what you don't know, what I haven't told you, is that in my crispy soul, I felt so unworthy. I felt so unlovable. My value, my worth was at a minus 10. My husband knew it. 
One of the weirdest things when I went through that was I did not feel beautiful. I didn't feel attractive. And I say it's weird because it makes me sound like I'm vain. I don't know why that was the thing, but I just didn't feel attractive, worthy. And my sweet husband, my whole life has told me that he thinks I'm beautiful, but I couldn't hear it. He would tell me and I couldn't hear it. And I, I was just, I was so depleted. And I had read a book, and from the book, I had been praying and telling God about this lack in my life, this emptiness in me. And I, as you know, sometimes when you pray and then when God answers, there's quite a bit of distance between the two, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. So weeks had gone by, and I had prayed this prayer, just telling God how I was feeling and, and just literally just throwing myself at his mercy, so anyway, I'm, I'm in the aisle at Safeway. This little girl is playing this game, and, and this time she runs down the aisle, and she stops. And she looks me dead in the eye, and she smiles that cute little smile, and she says, you are beautiful. And then she just runs off. I didn't see her again. And I want to tell you that in that moment, I know that I know that I know that my king, my God, my perfect father saw my lack. He saw my hurt. Nothing I did, nothing I could have done, nothing, I didn't change anything. I didn't change my hairstyle, my outfit, nothing. I looked like a mess. But God, my creator, the God that I am made in his image, sent a little girl to me to tell me that I was beautiful forever changed me, forever. I don't struggle with that anymore. In that moment, God met me in that place. It's not like I don't have other places, but in that place of lack, God met me there, assured me, affirmed me, confirmed me, and when God does it, the worth and the value goes up. When we do it, the worth and the value goes down. God did it. He met me. And he wants to do that for you as well. I'm going to ask you to bow your head as I finish out. If you'll just bow your heads for a minute. And I'm going to read to you out of God's word. And God's word is what is spoken in his kingdom. Before I do, though, I just want to say, with your heads bowed, that after I get done and during the worship, um, I've asked a few people to come up and be up front. There's no pressure here at all. I wasn't going to do this, and then I just felt like I would be disobedient to not do it, so I'm doing it. I've asked a few people to come up and just be available to pray with you. If you're feeling like, you know, Steph, I, I have never opened myself up to the gift of a second birth in the Spirit. I've never opened myself up to that. I've never thought about it. I didn't even realize it until this morning. But... I haven't been born in the Spirit, and I want the gift of God's Spirit to help me to move out of the kingdom of darkness where I'm, I'm just killing myself, and I want to move into the kingdom of God where God moves and God does what God wants to do, and that God speaks to me of my value and my worth. So with your heads bowed, I'm just going to read this word over you this morning. It's from 1 Peter 2.9. You, everyone in this room, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy 
nation. That means you are set apart for God and for his kingdom. You are God's special possession. You are God's special possession. Every one of us. Then there's this part that I absolutely love. That you may declare the praises of him who called you, and he's calling some of us this morning, who has called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. My response to that moment in Safeway is I'm still talking about it today. I'm telling you about it. I can't help it, but my King and my God spoke to me, and I praise him for it, and I give him thanks, and I lift up his name, and I declare his praises, because when God does something real in your life, you cannot help but praise him. So will you, pray, will you stand with me this morning, and we are going to declare his praises together, and there will be some people that will come up right now that will be available to pray with you if you would like that uh, this morning.